0: Hey, and welcome to Product Journeys. I'm Frank Gleisner.
1: And I'm Lachlan Robertson. We're both product owners stumbling our way through our product journey, and we're out to meet amazing product people and learn a bit more about their skills and their experience. Today, we get to speak to Ben Watts.
0: Ben is the Principal Product Manager in the Practice Area of the Accountants and Bookkeepers Division. In this episode, we talk everything from the art of visual communication, senior stakeholder engagement, jobs-to-be-done frameworks, and making sure you grab those opportunities that will push you out of your comfort zone. Have fun.
2: It's yeah, welcome, a- Ben. lovely to be here. It's very
0: nice to have you on the podcast. I don't think Lachlan knows, but I've known Ben since I was five. So we've had a pretty, pretty old, longer. long, possibly even longer. Okay. Well, we always start with your background or your journey. It is product journeys. So kick us off then and tell us what's your journey into product and how did oh, you get into
2: a product manager role? Simple, logical steps. No, I actually studied design. In high school, I really just loved creating stuff and building stuff and making stuff. So design, like I designed for Remix magazine, hired fashion and was working in <laughs> magazine houses and Branding, stationery, posters, posters for gigs for friends, friends starting little small businesses. It was cool. Like I got freelance for seven years doing that and just had awesome flexibility and worked on. It's funny because you end up at zero and you're working with small businesses, but I was able to do that before helping them brand themselves and create an identity. And you kind of see them going through all the struggles and having cool ideas of what a startup could be. And then finally, like being a freelancer, I had to do my GST returns. I had to do my annual tax returns, all of that kind of stuff. That here I am at a company that that's what we do. And I guess, funnily as well, like being a graphic designer, that art of visual communication is a skill that I still use every day today as a product manager. Yeah. So, global financial crisis, 2008, you know, the bottom fell out of the economy. People didn't want to pay for printers to print things. So, a lot of my, graphic design requests became, hey, can you design this web thing for us instead? Because they felt like it was more reusable. So I jumped on lynda.com and upskilled in web design and WordPress. And then my girlfriend at the time and I, we went off and lived in Latin America for two years. And so I freelanced and did stuff uh, people back in New Zealand from the beach in Oaxaca and places like that. It was it was awesome living the nomad dream. So that was kind of the transition into digital. And then when I was away, I got offered a job by a friend who I met while I was freelancing, who'd started a small e-commerce startup with their partner. So I came, we came back to New Zealand. I worked for them as a designer and a project manager because I could talk to people and got my hands dirty and everything because it's a startup and you can do that. I had some successes, had some failures, but ultimately I transitioned out of design because I hate having my designs constantly critiqued and I was better at talking to people than it was at design, it turned it out. So I did that full time for them, had a nightmare project where we blew the budget out, lost money, stressed people out. It was freaking horrible and actually my dad was the one who says like hey I heard about this agile thing maybe you want to check it out so I convinced them to pay for me to go do an agile course which kind of changed my perspective on things which was pretty cool after that I got approached by ASB who were trying to build out their digital department, which is another funny story about how I got that connection through a connection. But the draw of a grown-up salary when I was like starting a family and grown-up hours and grown-up levels of stress was just like too strong. Yeah, I went over to ASB when they were founding their digital team, which is where I met a guy called Levi Allen, who we'll know from around zero. Uh, So he interviewed me at, at ASB met me on my first day because my actual manager was sick and he and I worked together on a bunch of projects. Then he left, went to Zero, and I was pretty pissed off about that. And then six months later, I got a message from Richard Egerton, who's still a recruitment guy here today going, hey, do you want to come work at Xero? And uh, the rest is history. I came over, Levi I founded up the Xero Projects team in Auckland took that to market, commercialized it, grew the Auckland office, and during that time, I transitioned from product owner into product manager, and yeah, Xero was really growing, got to meet awesome people, like I think Penny's still around. They were trying (laughs) to convince us to own bills. Sorry, Penny, that we didn't take you up on that. It was not quite the wild west, things were starting to come together then, but it was times where you, you just had to put your head down and figure out ways to do things, and yeah. Then I followed Levi into the practice side of the business. So the products we do for accountants and bookkeepers and yeah I'm unofficially officially the principal product manager in the practice space and here we are
1: there you go quite a journey
2: quite a journey like I said simple logical steps right <laughs>
0: I reckon that yeah. beaches wow. the South American beaches sounded
2: like, oh, like, like, like that. seriously after I came back and when I was looking at a career choice I was googling digital nomad best careers for digital nomad turns out doctor is the best career for a digital nomad so yeah.
1: i guess there is obviously in this day and age with the ability to now remote work that perhaps working from a beach idea might be quite That's a lot more right. accessible
2: good internet connections all you need sort it you mentioned
1: doing an agile course being one of your realization points. yeah, Could you talk through a little bit more around what was that epiphany that you sort of described?
2: Ah, uh, I mean the epiphany when we're doing service design, right? so service, Offerings, you're committing to a certain scope up front, right? We would literally write functional specifications that would go down to the letter of what the client was going to get. And so that gives you no flexibility. You have to deliver on that. So either you're going to lose money on it, or I don't know, you're going to cut quality, right? If you guys are familiar with the iron triangle, something has to give time or scope or quality. And so those were the only levers you had to play with. Either we'd lose money. we'd have to skimp on quality. And so agile in the idea that you could sit down with the client and go, hey, you know what? We're running out of money. This is more complicated than we thought because it's all bespoke software. We reckon the biggest bang you can get for your buck is actually over here and we'll shave off this scope. And you can't do that when it's not your money. They're going to hold your toes to the fire and go, no, you said you'd do this for us. And you said it would cost this much. What do you mean you want to not do it all? Do it. We've got a contract that says you will. So the realization was also, it's really hard to do agile in a service business. So going to ASB where, and now obviously at zero where it's our own money and we can choose how to spend it is liberating. You can make sensible trade-offs as well. And to be honest, to be able to be transparent and honest with your stakeholders. You do not want to tell your client in the service organization that things are not going well. That's not an easy conversation to have, but you need to have it, right? So, yeah.
0: I didn't realize you did design for so long. How or what's things that you use now in your role that you can draw off from that experience in particular?
2: Oh, I mean visual communication if you google product manager you find those diagrams of what a product manager does it's 60 70% communication and i truly believe that and so though know, all those design skills i still use today to communicate an idea or key information it's way more powerful than trying to say it or write it stakeholder communication is massive right having a good visual can really make it click for someone and there's nothing better than a stakeholder going to you going, hmm, how's it going to work for this? And you go, oh, I've got a visual for that. Boom, oh, there it is. And they're like, yeah, OK, I get it. The other thing you learn in design is what is the key message or piece of information that you're trying to communicate. If you're designing a poster for someone driving past and you want them to go to your website, you can't make it really tiny in the corner. I often think about if these people could walk away with one thing, just one thing that they remember from my presentation, what is it? And so, yeah, it often comes through in the visual communication. And and that's something, obviously, you've had a lot of experience as a
1: designer learning that skill or developing that muscle. For those of us who maybe haven't had that background, where would you suggest starting or how can we grow that?
2: Oh, I think it's the same for a, a lot of areas of personal growth. My way of doing it is, and I still learn today, obviously, is you see other people and you think who's a great presenter? Who are the ones who have awesome slides? You go to their presentation and you're like, geez, that's a next level slide deck. I'm going to steal some of those slides. If I see a great way that someone's communicated a really complicated topic, oh, I'll leverage that.
0: Visuals say so much more than words, in a way. And actually, yeah. if you can get the visuals right, that probably
2: is the key thing. I've definitely struggled with it. Love the idea of ceiling. Just yeah, still go. I could take that diagram, and that could represent this problem that I have as well. Tick. Very true.
1: Shifting gears, I guess back to. The role that you do at the moment. Obviously, you mentioned you started at ASB, if I'm right with that, and then transitioned across to Zero. And you mentioned you moved from being a PO to a PM. For you, what does that actually mean as far as the role that you fill now versus perhaps when you you started? Are there some key differences that you've? Oh. Or has it just been an evolution type of thing?
2: It's, it's definitely been an evolution. And when I moved into the product manager role, Levi, had, had, he already had gone off and was doing other things. His remit was expanding and he left me to my own devices. So I ended up doing the product manager role. At that time, I often described the relationship between the product manager and the product owner was I was looking further into the future and the product owner was looking at the next sprint and the sprint beyond that. And we were meeting in the middle out of necessity on what the medium term was, the longer term vision could be more aspirational, the short term, we need to know what that is. And the medium term needs to be a happy medium of those two things. Right. And the other key differences were obviously, well, one, you're managing people and. There is just a different level of stakeholder you tend to deal with. So, yeah, we get those opportunities to get in front of those super, super senior stakeholders, go to present to execs or general managers, present at conferences and Xerocon, that kind of thing. Yeah, cool.
0: You also mentioned a lot of people
2: in your journey as well. How important are those relationships in the pivoting points? So important. I've had all my jobs and all my (laughs) promotions or whatever have been by virtue of knowing people. I felt like if I was ever going to leave zero and go somewhere else, it would be because there were people there that I really, really wanted to work with. Or I knew if I went there, it's going to be a good place to work with because these are really, really good people. There's nothing worse than having a role where you don't gel with the other people. Uh, and you also find some people that fill in those gaps that then maybe not your strong points. And I've been lucky enough to find that on a few occasions, especially at zero. That's awesome. Have you ever had
0: an experience of working with people that you don't gel with? Oh
2: yeah, definitely, definitely. And often it's a communication thing. Oh, I mean, we used to be big into DISC as well at Zero, which was the kind of framework for understanding people and their communication preferences. Actually, I really liked it. It really helped me understand, particularly direct people, and that I could be direct back to them, even though I'm more of a, a collaborator type person. But It helped me understand a lot of direct managers, that they would just fire things at me. And it was okay for me to fire something straight back at them to tell them they were wrong. And they would be like, okay, cool, that's cool, rather than be like, oh, God. And actually, as you start to deal with more senior managers as well, you find a lot more direct thinkers, and you often have a much less of their time. So they're just going to be direct because they don't have much time. And so getting used to that form of engagement, if that's not your natural preference, takes some work, and but you get used to it. But yeah, the, back to your question, I think, yeah, the people that I haven't gelled with, it's usually been that we're communicating past each other. So it takes a little while to figure out what's the optimum manner of communication to get on the same page and kind of stepping back and go, hang on, why aren't we gelling here? Are you coming at this from a different angle? Do you have a different understanding? Do you have a different motivation on this?
1: There you go.
2: To rewind and
1: ask the question, because I'm not sure I have yet, imagining
2: you're
1: at a barbecue,
2: how do you describe what you do in your job to someone? Oh, man. Yeah, I was kind of hoping you'd skip that question. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's it's usually a muddled response. Maybe I could summarize that as I work with software engineers and designers and marketers to determine the best way to spend our time and our money for our business and for our customers maybe would probably be the best I could come up with. And then the other one I talk about a lot is translation. You're translating between what your teams are doing and what execs want to hear. Yeah.
0: No, I think it is a hard question. they even hearing you say marketing engineers. I think some people would be like, have you seen the, the I don't p- even understand what that is? And I
2: was getting us to check out the updated framework yesterday. So I jumped in, had a look. And I've been maybe a version or two since I'd last looked at it. Guess what? Product management is on every step on that. It didn't used to be like in the core group. Now, product management is on every step. Doesn't matter what it is, we're in that. Doesn't it's, that
0: say enough about that role then? Yeah. Mm. And
2: the thing that stood out for me on that is obviously you can't be a hundred percent in all of those things, right? So you have to figure out within that, what's the role of the product thinker, probably subtly influencing or correcting or checking direction, but maybe not taking the bulk of the work. Jack of all trades, master of none. Is that kind of what we do? Something like that, right? Definitely, yeah. The
0: glue. I think, yeah. The glue. The
2: the glue. The glue. Yeah, it's a good one. It's everything
0: together. That's my (laughs) go-to. Touching on skills, are there particular skills that you think you've developed over PO and, and into PM? What are the key ones that you've found on your journey?
2: we've talked about communication but i think it's that right obviously i had a head start with something like visual communication but i'm not a natural verbal communicator it's a skill i've had to learn over time the confidence to present in front of groups to get on stage at zero con and present in front of a whole lot of people it's scary <laughs> right so but it's a skill that i've certainly developed and stakeholder management like senior senior stakeholder management i think is probably the biggest skill to develop and i think the biggest difference between the product owner role and the product manager role is how to engage with our senior stakeholder groups and how to adapt your message it's the translation thing again how to adapt the same piece of information that you're presenting to your pods or other product managers and to position that to senior stakeholders and to put yourself in their shoes and go, okay, I've got a short amount of time. How do I get this message across and how do I get just the parts that they care about across to them? One of the key things I got taught, if you've got a meeting with a senior stakeholder, A, do your preparation, but also know what your asks are, right? They want to help you and they want to make you successful. If you can go in there and tell them, look, we need this and we believe that you can help us do this, whether it's more people, more time, they're going to appreciate that because they can pull levers like that. So really trying to understand what levers they can pull and how they might benefit you. Yeah, that does land quite a lot for me.
1: I, to be fair, I haven't had many conversations with the leadership level at zero, but a lot of the times it's the so what. Type of moments, mm. it's like this is great and all, but what do you want me yeah. to do about it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of question. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So what? Spot on. I mean, if I could exp- expand on that too, though, as well as the confidence speaking to seeing stakeholders and that, speaking to customers, right? Taking any opportunity you get to have a customer conversation. We used to get feedback about projects from accountants, and I say, can I have a chat with them? And it was always a great way to just. I put a human face to a complaint or whatever, and understand yeah. them, and any chance to sit on, on a user research interview or any chance to go to a roadshow or something. I used to sit behind the desk where the, they'd come and ask the question of our awesome frontline teams and just hear the kind of stuff that they talk about. So definitely recommend any chance you get to do that. And it- even if it's kind of scary, you just need to ask questions, right? You just ask questions like be curious be curious yeah be curious be curious definitely
0: in jumping back because i've heard a few times about messaging for different audiences and Uh, how how do you learn that without being confronted with it? like it's something that i want to do more of but i don't often have that situation to do it like how how would you learn to do it
2: i guess you need those opportunities and that exposure if it's your work you can say to your manager hey I'd love to present this. And if I was your manager and you were saying you want to do that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make sure you do a really good job because you're in effect representing me. And I've had that blowback in my face before where I've had to rescue presentation or whatever. But I feel like that's on me as a manager, right? That I didn't prep that person well enough to do an effective job. But hopefully they go away and reflect on that and go, what did we do wrong? What didn't we prep? So many of these things are... You need that exposure to have a go at it. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. I'm also a classic for just having conversations in my head. (laughs) You're just imagining, okay, I say this, and then what do they say? They say that. Okay, what do I say to that? Literally just role-playing in your head. And So if you ever want to role-play a senior stakeholder, I'm happy to beat that senior (laughs) stakeholder and just be so and ask you the the obvious
1: questions. That's a great suggestion. I don't think we've had that one around role-playing and actually, I guess, the other extension on that is, is practicing stuff before you actually do it, right? And there's a balance of the thinking on your feet versus the preparation.
2: Yeah. The, the thinking on the feet comes with time as well. I used to be terrible at thinking on my feet, so it's definitely a muscle. Because if you can do it, it's really impressive. You really know the people who can calmly take a really challenging question and give a super succinct answer, summarizing a whole bunch of complicated stuff. I don't have any shortcuts for that. I think that's just something you develop with age. You did mention, though, prep. If you're going into a conversation like that, prep. And I feel like that's
0: where, if you think about maybe the question's going to be asked. And you might get curveballs, but having the data, having looked through different things, like that, for me, feels like a a really obvious trick.
2: Yeah, the prep and and also knowing where you've got gaps and front-footing it right, to go, we know we need the data, and this is what we're doing to get the data, or this is why we're blocked in getting the data, maybe you can help us get the data?
1: Good call out. Communication being the main theme here, any other key skills or even tools or frameworks or things that you've found useful to have in your your toolkit?
2: Yeah, you go through fads, but the one I'm big on at the moment is jobs to be done. i I really think it hits that intersection of customer needs, commercial opportunities and providing something that's going to really solve for the customer well and for the business. The idea that the customer wants to hire your tool to do a job that they have. And, you know, we often think about technology and product, but most jobs to be done are going to require some sort of offline process or they're going to require other tools, and some of them we've got some influence over, and some of them we haven't. We just got to be cognizant of them.
0: Yeah, I really like also the context. They might have that one job to be done that is important for zero or something, but yeah, think about that more holistically. All right, we'll move along, Ben. What is the biggest
2: lesson that you've learned? Oh, biggest lesson. I think a failure there's a f- or
0: whatever. You know, you can take that as you as different words for it.
2: One of the really formative lessons i learned was when i was a designer you just kind of want to make it look nice and i can remember i think it might have even been levi i'd mocked up something and he's like yeah but what problem does that solve <laughs> and you're like yeah what problem does that solve so uh, kind of similar to the jobs to be done in conversation always understanding what problem are you trying to solve is probably one. The other two are probably ones I've already touched on. If you ever get an opportunity to talk to a customer, talk to the customer. And when you're going into the senior stakeholder meetings, what's your ask?
1: Yeah, perfect. Uh, last big question before we get into our quick fire ones. What would you say is your biggest accomplishment or the thing you're most proud of?
2: Probably getting up on stage at ZeroCon for two reasons. It brought together the accomplishment of, of shipping that product and commercializing it, getting it to market and and the challenges doing that, but also on a personal level, like I said, it, the idea that I could get up on stage and present for half an hour to a thousand counts and bookkeepers is, is something 10 years ago, I would have just gone, no way, no, no, too scared, don't like that kind of thing. So yeah, being able to do that.
1: Yeah.
2: All right, let's
1: switch gears to our our quick questions. I'll kick us off. Could you tell us about your favorite book or article, or at least just something you'd recommend in that space?
2: Yeah, definitely. Competing Against Luck for Jobs to be Done by Clayton M. Christensen. It's awesome. Uh, For more of that people leadership, I loved Trillion Dollar Coach about Bill Campbell. Also, Radical Candor, fan of that. And Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. I feel like that's just like a foundational read. I've read it a couple of times. Every time I read it, I get something else out of it. Also, a fan of empowered.
0: A nice one. Hits of goodies there.
2: Go to podcasts. To be honest, I'm Do not a big. I'm, I'm not really a podcaster. We can skip no, that. no, no. My wife's always trying to get me to listen to her true crime and political podcasts and stuff like that. Just you recommend know. her ones that she loves. Well, yes. Oh gosh, reply all, but that's stopping. Gone by lunchtime. Good New Zealand political podcast. There's a great one if you're, you're trying to learn Spanish called uh, No Hay Dos. But that's my that's my music time. I like to listen to Spotify if I'm on the train. So I, I was okay. just thinking about product all the time. So yeah. that's fair. you can also that give us a music that.
0: recommendation as well. That's
2: oh, <laughs> where I got a shout out for Villainy, the Zero Band uh, <laughs> with Neil up in Auckland, and my brother's the guitarist. Yeah, there you go. Shout out oh, to Villainy. God.
1: Nice, good old Kiwi music. Thing you're most grateful for?
2: Oh, apart from health and all of that good stuff, it's good to live at a country, a little country at the bottom of the world. Sometimes, certainly at zero, I think it's those opportunities to grow and learn with a massive amount of autonomy and trust, and that comes from having great people to work with and good leaders that empower you, and that's what keeps me motivated and consistently growing and learning and and still at zero after nearly seven years so, yeah nice thank you
0: is there anything else you want to share any other takeaways or calls to action
2: take any opportunities that are presented at you if someone says to you hey they've got a school group coming in do you want to talk to them about how you do product Say yes. <laughs> if someone goes, hey, do you want to come along and talk to this client? Say yes. If someone says, hey, do you want to come and uh, sit in on the stakeholder meeting? S- say yes. Those opportunities don't always come along. And if you don't say yes, people will stop asking you. Put yourself out there. It can feel awkward, but the more that you do it, the more confident you'll be, right? And and you get more visible. And the more people know who you are, the better it is, I think, in the product product world at zero. And it's big big help.
0: Going back to those relationships. Um, that's back really to those relationships. Thank
2: it's, you. It's, it's, it's also not just who you know, but possibly more importantly, who knows you, especially when there's something going on with your product, even if you don't know those people, you want them to know that they should come to you. So how do you get that visibility and those relationships so that key people will say, go talk to Fran, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you awesome. so much, Ben. Thanks for your time. And Not it's, at all. yeah, always fun.
2: Always um- fun.